Happy Sabbath, GYC. Tonight, I want to share a little secret with you, and this secret is what keeps me coming back to GYC year after year. Are you ready? The secret is the fact that GYC only gets better every year. So you know what that means by default. You are experiencing tonight the best GYC ever in its history. Amen. I have a question for you tonight. How would you describe GYC in one short phrase? Awesome. <laughs> Fabulous. I wanted to describe GYC as a taste of heaven. Can you imagine ex- sharing incredible experiences, praising God together, and encouraging each other, not just from Wednesday night to Sunday morning, but all through eternity? Instead of having to choose from only six out of over a hundred seminar sessions, can you imagine having one-on-one session with Paul on his experience of evangel living, with Moses? On sanctuary, with Daniel on his experience with prophecy, and with Gabriel for heavenly harmony, and with Jesus for his extreme mission and his love for us on the cross—not just for one hour. How about a thousand years at a time? Would you be satisfied with that? We'll add about a hundred or two more years on top of that. <laughs> But I can't wait. I'm really excited, aren't you? Um, this year, our theme for GYC is a short word, B, and that got me kind of thinking: What did I want to be up to this point? What do I want to be? What should I be? What can I be? And I hope that these are the same questions that's ringing through your mind, and that this GYC has helped you step closer. To experiencing the answer to that, those questions more tangibly, and for me, this GYC has brought me to um, ex- to be want to be more like Jesus, to be stamped with His love for all the world to see. And I pray that this is your desire tonight. If you have experienced at this GYC. An eye-opening, a mind-changing, a heart-compelling, and life-transforming experience. I want you to brace yourself because God has promised to us that He has blessed and sanctified the Sabbath, and this Sabbath, you are going to experience a phenomenal blessing. And I just pray that through tonight's program, that your hearts will be warmed through the Holy Spirit's presence. Would you bow your heads with me for prayer? Father in heaven, we want to thank you for what you did thousands of years ago, for creating the world, for speaking it into existence. And Father, I thank you for taking the time to kneel in the dust to to form man. Father, it's a blessing on this Sabbath day to remember you as our Creator, to thank you for what you've done. Truly, Lord, you are worthy. As it says in Revelation, Lord, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, 
For you created all things, and by your will they exist and are created. Father, I thank you for that. Thank you for redemption thousands of years ago for dying on the cross. Lord, for saying that you wanted to buy us back from the devil. And Father, I just, I pray that as we've come here tonight, Lord, on this Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, that you would give us a transformation tonight. Father, we've come for a change. I pray that your word uh, would pierce into our hearts, into our lives. We don't want to be the same. Father, I just pray that your word would would cut deep into our lives. May we take a higher a higher stand tonight. Father, give us that heart of flesh. We don't want the heart of stone. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be here, Father. I'm reminded of that verse in Luke 11 that says that fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. And yet how much more do you want to give the Holy Spirit to your children? So Father, we pray for that tonight. Please be with all the speakers. Please be with us as we listen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
When he walked the road to Calvary, gave his life so willingly, broken there the rose of Sharon died for me. It was for me. Happy Sabbath, GYC. Oh, come on now. Happy Sabbath, GYC. Amen, amen. I hope you've been blessed so far. Uh, it, this is a power-packed weekend, amen? Are you, are, you, are you tired yet? I hope not, because it's a Sabbath, right? We're resting today, amen? Amen. Uh, young people, we want to let you know about some very exciting projects that are taking place uh, by young people, Amen. The first project I want to talk to you about, on the, in the GYC booklet, if you have that with you, you'll notice on that first page, when you turn it, you probably came here the first day and saw something that said Army of Youth and thinking to yourself, what in the world is this? Well, we want to take some time tonight to tell you what exactly this project is all about. It's a very exciting project. Uh, I want to introduce you to um, our team here. Uh, the first one to my left here is Tim Taylor. Uh, Tim, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself quickly. Yeah, my name, my name is... Uh... Tim Taylor, and I'm just a college student from the Sacramento area of California. I'm Stacey Osterman, I'm a coordinator of the Michigan Conference. My name is Jared Thomas, and I'm the Director of Spiritual Affairs for Daystar Academy. My name is Joe Reeves, and I'm a Bible worker in Wisconsin. Amen. So what we did was, I, we put together this, this, this team to, to undertake a crazy and exciting project. As you already know, as GYC attendees, you've come to GYC. I don't, maybe this is your first year, but there are many of you that have come throughout the years. Amen? Yes or no? 
Wow. Have you come? Yes or no? Yes. Amen. And you've been excited. You, you've been encouraged. You've been blessed. You've been energized. You've been inspired. And what happens after you leave GYC? You go, you get, you're supposed to go back to work, right? You're supposed to take what you've learned here, go back into the field, go back to your home churches, go back to your, to your campuses, and mobilize. Amen? But sometimes it becomes a little difficult to do that. Isn't it? Yes or no? Sometimes you don't have the network. Sometimes you don't have uh, uh, friends or, or students of the same mind. You know, same people that have come to UIC and that have walked away with the same things that you've walked away with. And so we, we, we want to uh, be an answer to, to, that, to that little problem. Amen? So what we did was... What we did was, as, as VP of networking, I, I was starting to think, okay, what can we do? What can we do? What can be the first, what, one of the first steps that we can do to bring some mobilization, some connection to the GYC community? Amen? Amen. So, really quick here, Tim Taylor, um, I, I'm also the, the director of the Radiant Living team. Uh, Tim Taylor came, 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 came out on my team as a Bible worker, and we were discussing the, the need of, of young people globally. Okay, especially the need of the young people that have come to GYC. Amen. We've been inspired, like, like we've mentioned before, but it's been kind of difficult to, to continue that inspiration uh, throughout the whole year. Yes or no? So what we've done is, is we've launched a very, very exciting project because we want everyone that comes to GYC to leave the same way that they've been fired up here, the same way that they've been inspired to go back to their areas and turn their part of the world Upside down. Amen? So what we did was, we started working on this online social network plus project. And Tim is going to tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, um, I went to GYC uh, Sacramento. That was the first GYC I had been to. And I didn't know about GYC. I went there and I was blown away. I was like, man, thousands of young people out there that love the Lord like I do. And I just could not believe it. But like Emil said, I went home and I was just, man, what, what do I do now? And it was before I went to AFCO and I was like, how do I get plugged in, you know? And, and most of the young people at my church were, were not catching the vision um, that, that I was. And so I prayed about it and that's when, when the Lord led me to Radiant Living. And, and um, Emil and I were able to brainstorm on some things. We put together a great team and, and, um, and we've been, the Lord has just blessed tremendously. And um, I just wanted to share a quote with you because, you know, I really nothing I could say could do justice. Um, but... We, we've done a lot of studying and praying and brainstorming about this project, and we feel that the Lord has, has been inspiring and, and blessing. And I just wanted to share with you in the book, Fundamentals of Christian Education, the pen of inspiration, tells us that we should unite heartily. Now, heartily means enthusiastically. It means thoroughly. We should unite heartily in an effort to educate and train an army of young men and women in such a way that they will be consistent and well-balanced Christians, able to understand and explain the scriptures. Mm. We say amen. And so I was like, man, how, how can we begin to do this? And so we began to brainstorm and, and, and come up with this idea of, man, what, what, what can we do about this? And the Lord began to tell me as I left UIC Sacramento, Tim, you've got to do something about this. And I was like, Lord, me? Like, I'm just an ordinary young person, you know? Well, what can I do about this? But... The Lord wants to use ordinary young people like you and me, amen? Hallelujah, amen. And so the Lord impressed me and said, you know, Tim, you, you, have some, you have some skills with web development. Why don't you use that to, to do something like this? And, and so, um, so we've, we've basically done that. We've, we've tried to create an online uh, uh, community. 
um, we want to, we, we kind of uh, give it a little description here. Army of Youth is an online community providing networking, resources, training, and ministry opportunities for young people who are serious about taking the three angels' messages to the entire world. Can you say amen? Amen. And so we, we uh, as we've been brainstorming, we, we kind of divided this mission into four elements. And I just want to briefly uh, give you an idea. We, we, we divided it into four elements. Enlist, connect, equip, and deploy. You can see that maybe in your, in your booklet. And, uh, and the, the first element in list, we want to identify young people with the gospel commission. So, you know, there's, there's so many young people that, that are Adventists, but they're not identified with the gospel commission. So that's what we want to do with enlist. Connect, we want to provide, we want to network young people with churches, opportunities, with other young people throughout the year that they can, can encourage each other and lift each other. That's connect. Equip, we want to provide um, we want to provide a vast database of online resources and training opportunities. That's equip. Deploy, we want to also provide ministry opportunities from churches and, and other ministries for, for young people to get plugged into what they have in front of them as opportunities. So those are the four elements. Amen. Now, if you notice, it's not just some fluffy, uh, you know, social network where you just go on there and talk about what you ate that day. Amen. Amen. This, this, this social network, this, this online army of youth community is, is, is organized to finish the work. Amen? Amen. Hey, Stacy, break it down. What, what's, what's the connect all about? Tell us about that. Well, here at GYC, one of the things I love so much about GYC is the ability to connect so much with other young people who are also equally on fire for God and want to take this message to the world. But what do you do when you go home and you're not with each other here? You know, what happens the other 360 days of the year that you're not at GYC? So the connect part of this website has several really awesome features that are going to help facilitate this. One is our social networking, which I'll um, break down here in a minute. Um, another one is, do we have these on showing? I don't know. Yeah, we have some slides somewhere. I'm sure that they'll bring them up here shortly. <laughs> okay. Um, one of the features in the connect section is groups. Let's imagine that you are involved in a certain type of ministry. Maybe you're a Bible worker. Maybe you're a literature evangelist. Maybe you're into health ministry. How would you like to connect with other young people all across North America and even beyond who have the same passion, do the same kind of ministry you do, where you could get together, you could share resources, you could ask each other questions, you could um, dialogue, you could plan events together. Groups will allow you to do that. Um, another thing will be churches. Let's say you go home and you want to create a small group in your area, find other GYC um, attendees who maybe live within a certain um, distance of where you live and get together and do a, a Bible study or maybe plan an outreach or something like that. You'll be able to search to find other GYC attendees in your area. And um, churches will also be able to create a profile where they can talk about events that they're doing that their young people can get involved in. Um, you'll also be able to um, search speakers. Imagine a place where you can find the profiles of every GYC speaker that you really like and be able to find out their itinerary, when they're going to come to your area, or how you can maybe invite them to come to your area and go to one place and find all that information. Now, the um, social networking part of our site is going to be um, different than any other social networking um, site you've seen before. How many of you are on something like MySpace or Facebook or something of that nature? Okay, a lot of you. Army of Youth social networking site is very different. In some ways, it's similar to like MySpace and that sort of thing, and, and it has a couple of similar features. 
But what makes it very different is that this is for serious Adventist young people who want to encourage each other to share the gospel. This is not a place where you get on and you just talk about whatever. This is a place where you encourage each other to serve the Lord Jesus. Amen. So your whole team that you, um, for example, on your profile page, you have a place to put your personal mission statement for your life. What is my goal for my life? How am I going to serve Jesus? You can share your personal testimony, what God is doing in your life. Your battle blog becomes the place where you share your ministry experiences. I just had the most awesome Bible study today. I want to tell my friends about that. Blah, 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 blah. You know, you put that all down there. And people can read that. Um, and all those, you have, a, oh, here's another really awesome thing about it. You have a place called My um, Disciplines and My Course of Action. You come to GYC, you make commitments. I'm going to have personal devotions in my life. I made that commitment when I stood up at David Shen's message last night. So you go home, and now you want your friends to hold you accountable to that goal you made. So that goes in your my disciplines. And now your friends are holding you accountable, can comment and say, how are you doing with that commitment you made? Those are just some of the features that this um, social networking has that others do not. Okay, Jared, tell us, tell us a little bit about our resources and all that good stuff that we have. How, what's that going to look like? Basically, we, what we've done is we've, we've broken our equip department into two basic sections. We have uh, our resources and we have our, our training side of the database. So under resources, how many of you guys would like to have something, if you're involved in ministry, something that you can tap into? Um, there are thousands of us that are in ministry. But the way we've shared resources previously to this is, you know, we might hook up in a GYC hotel room after the meeting. I hope you guys go to sleep early. But you may share some resources. You may bump into each other in the hallway. I have friends that, you know, I'll bump into, each, into someone at an evangelism campaign. We'll have our notebooks open. We'll be sharing resources over a wireless network. What if we can apply that principle to every person in this room? What if we can tap into some of the most thoughtful minds in the Seventh-day Adventist Church? You know, I spoke with, with Elder Steve Bohr today, and um, he's currently developing uh, a series of uh, lessons on the book of Revelation. And we're going to be tapping into that. It's going to be available on our website. Not just sharing with the speakers, but eventually, if, if you'd like to submit a resource for review, and we can post that, we can embrace the entire GYC movement and tap into other people's creativity and ministry. Amen. So we're really thrilled about that. We have several um, areas of this. You can check out the website. The primary area that we've focused on recently is that of Bible work. Some of you have just graduated from the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism or Arise. You're going to go out into Bible work, I hope, um, extend your ministry. And you may want some fresh ideas. You may need something to help keep you accountable with your time or stay organized. We're going to provide that for you on the website. The second area, apart from resources that you can download, um, is training. Well, why do we need training? Every one of you is being called to ministry. Do you realize that? Steps of Christ says that no sooner does one come to the Savior than there's born in his heart to make known to others the precious friend he's found in Jesus. Amen, amen. How are you going to do it? You know, every single one of us here has gone to a short-term evangelism training program, except for Stacy, and she is a short-term evangelism <laughs> training program for the Michigan Conference. Um, so we believe that as young people, we need to get hooked up. But there's so many opportunities out there. What we're doing is we are pulling together a lot of information. You know, how much does it cost to go to AFCO? 
How long is the program at Arise? What's up with this European Bible school that I've been hearing about? If you can go to one place and see a breakdown of every training program, their cost, do they have scholarships available? We've done all the research for you. All you have to do is get down on your knees and say, Lord, where can I go to get the best training suited for me so I can make an impact on this Amen. Program? Amen. Okay? We have a lot of other things uh, available. We're going to incorporate online training. We've been talking to some, some great people. What if you could log on and have a live video conference or teleconference with people like Sean Boonstra. You can ask questions online to people like David Astor, people who are seasoned in evangelism, and you can tap into that. Just a little taste of some of the things that we're making available in our resources department. Amen, amen. Thank you. Joe, if you can break down what the deploy section is all about, please. I hope you're seeing Very that quickly. Army of Youth is, is much more than just a social network. That's just one-fourth of our website. The final section is deploy, and this is where we're deploying the army of youth into evangelism, and we've built a database of ministry opportunities. A lot of you come to GYC, and you, you go to the booths, and you go, wow, I didn't know there were so many ministry opportunities available. But then you don't come in contact with those ministries again till the next GYC. But on our website, these ministries will be represented who are looking for young people. We're going to have call porter uh, programs on there, Bible work positions, Foreign missionary opportunities, say, say you got a spring break. What can I do during the spring break? You'll have search capabilities. See, what kind of ministry can I do during my spring break and have all these things? Say you, you speak Spanish. You want to do some missions in Latin America or something. We'll have a whole list. And this is something where a lot of us want to work, but we don't know where to go or where to start. Now there's no excuses because we can come to armyofyouth.org. And search it out for ourselves. Amen, amen. Thank you. So if now, you notice here, go ahead. Go and ahead. We, we're, this is something, we just got this website up like last week. Tim put it up in the middle of the night, some night last week. Uh, so we don't have it online, this section yet, but keep coming back. It'll be on shortly. If you notice, it's a big, it's, it's, it's basically a hub for, for resources, for connection, for a bunch of stuff where we can all tap into and organize ourselves into an army of youth. So what's the next step? What do you think the next step is? You need to enlist. Amen? Enlist. Armyofyouth.org. God bless you. Thank you, guys. At this moment, we're going to have a, a short video uh, from the Southeast Youth Conference Open Door Evangelism Project. After the last secret told, after the last bullet tears through flesh and bone, after the last child starves and the last girl walks the boulevard, after the last year that's just too hard. There is love, 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 love. There is love, love, love. Well, basically, the, the patent project is, is a project based in the projects of downtown Chattanooga that we're trying to get the entire school, including you, involved in. After the, last life the patent projects came about um, actually by happenstance. As I was picking people up for church one day in front of the patent towers, I was asked by the gentleman in the front, um, do you have any way to get me there because I'm in a wheelchair? 
And unfortunately, I didn't have the capability, and nobody else in the church had the capability to bring him. And so he, he posed this idea and said, hey, what if you guys did services here? And I thought, hey, that'd be a cool idea. Called the lady who was in charge. She said, wow, you guys are actually an answer to my prayer. And I thought to myself, this isn't just an opportunity for me to get involved. Let's use this as an opportunity for everybody to get involved. There's 250 people who live in this building. Every single one of them are on disability. However, they're all independently living. They need our help. There's only one lady there to take care of her. They have many different needs from room cleaning to GED tutoring to Bible studies to anything you can think of, art therapy to just spending time with them. Now this is how you can get involved. If you're a nursing major, there's 30 shut-ins that need your help. If you're somebody who is smart, whether you're a history major, a math major, or a computer science major, or, or anything in that area, we need GED tutoring. Now we have spiritual element that needs to be dealt with. We're going to have a small group Bible study. Now we can't do this all on our own because there's 40 people who want to do this. And there's also in-home Bible studies. There's more than that who want to be actually studied within their home. And so this is where we need religion majors, psychology majors, and anybody else who, who wants to get involved in this, you can. Philip and Philip are two guys I met down at the community kitchen. These guys are, are, are people who live in the Patton Towers and they, they struggle with a lot. They talk about their struggles with, with alcohol, with drugs, and, and just with hanging out with people in general. They get bored just sitting up there in their room. And they need people like us to come down there and spend time with them. We've been a blessing to them so far just by hanging out with them. Most of these people were at one point homeless. And homelessness, the definition, is an inadequate connectedness with the community. And so by us being there, we're bringing the community back to them. The, the lives of those living in Patton Towers are, are like these railroad tracks. They're, 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 they're on paths heading to nowhere. They're on a track heading to nothing. But we want to get them on a track that's heading to the kingdom. Patton Towers is kind of like this dollar. You see it, it's all dirty, torn, and, 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 all, and all crumbled up. However, it still has never lost its value, no matter how dirty, how torn it gets. It still represents what it is. It's a dollar. That's how much it's worth. So are the people there in Patton Towers. They're dirty. They're, they're torn. They're, they, they come from broken homes and, and broken lives. However, they still have never lost their value. They've never lost who God has made them to be. 
He has made them people to live with Him for eternity. Praise the Lord. Taylor Paris and Chuck Stark from, uh, from Southeast Youth Conference are going to share with us some very exciting things that are happening in their area. You know, uh, in 2003, uh, Southern students came to GYC and they were trying to figure out what can we do? What we, what, how can we take this passion, this mission back to our area? And we came up with this idea of starting a, a youth conference. And God has been good. We've been able to hold four, uh, we'll be able to hold our fourth conference in January. But what we're really excited about, what we're passionate about, is not just having conferences. It's having evangelism, getting involved in evangelism, doing something with what we've learned. And uh, so the, the passion is, is putting into action the mission. So we have this other aspect to our conference, as he me- mentioned. Uh, Southeast Youth Conference is what we call the inspiration, kind of like GYC. But our open door projects, our evangelism, that's the perspiration Mm. where we sweat and we get involved. We get out there and we perspire in evangelism. So what we're doing is we have training that goes on all year long in addition to our yearly conference. Students get inspired. We encourage them to come to our training events during the school year. And we have different people, different speakers. Uh, Jay Rosario has come out. uh, Basically just training, inspiring young people. What we've done is we have two projects that we've been working on. The first one is our North River church community church plan. We started about two years ago, and we've done everything from knocking on doors, giving Bible studies, we've done literature evangelism, we've held a health expo in downtown Chattanooga, just getting to know the people in the area. We've even gone door to door, passing out homemade loaves of bread, Mm. and as a result of that, we have a couple that is now baptized and into our church. In addition to that, as you saw above, we have the Patton Project. This is our new project this year that we've been doing all along. Yeah, there's about 250 people. We go there almost on a weekly basis, knocking on doors, meeting people, talking to people, giving Bible studies. We have a Bible work club that almost 40 young people come to this different towers and different places in the area, and they're giving Bible studies actively during the school year. They're getting involved in this evangelism. We also have GED tutoring, just different things like that, just to, to really show them that we care. The school has gotten so involved that the computing department is even thinking about building a computer area for these people to, to really get to know and have other access. So these are some of the different projects that are going on. Amen. Amen. You know what's exciting about this? That these, these, these brothers just came to GYC uh, a few years ago. They were inspired. They went back to their, to their campus. And now that they have a powerful youth conference going, taking place there. They have multiple projects going on there at their local level. They, 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 they've taken away just the conference thing and moving into the, the practical, let's impact our community. Amen. So what's the point? What's the point of all these things? Exactly what he said. It's not just about having a conference and getting inspired and talking. It's about going home to your local community and getting involved in evangelism. A lot of church leaders are afraid sometimes to let young people. And there's a reason. Because many young people are not holding the high standards that we need to be having. It's important to have evangelism. You can, there's a lot of evangelism projects going out there right now. 
But you have to have high standards. You have to be professional. You need to do the very best that you can. And you need to have the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, so our lesson here is, we, we, we don't have to, you know, plan a great thing to do after we leave UIC. We can just go back to our places and even start a, a small group Bible study if that's all we could do. Amen. We don't have to plan a huge conference. We can start, we can start planning just, just little Bible studies here and there, even in our campuses. Some of our students, some of our fellow students don't even have the relationship of, uh, with God that they need to be having. Amen. So that, those are some practical things that, that could be done, right? Any, any last words? As a result of the movie, the video that you just saw, it was so inspiring and it's inspired so many young people. Our usual average attendance is about 40 to 100 young people coming out to our projects. After we displayed that video, over 150 college students came out and participated in our evangelism. And I'd just like to say, like uh, um, Emil was saying, start small and partner with the, the church leaders, work with people that are in ministry already to do the powerful things that, are, that God wants you to do. Amen. Young people, do something. Amen. Just do something. Whatever it is, just do something. Amen. Amen. Thank you. The audience is quite has changed quite a bit since our opening night, and we want to welcome you all to the, gener the Generation of Youth for Christ, GYC 2007 here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We have the distinct privilege this evening of introducing to you our speaker, Pastor David Shin. Pastor David Shin comes to us from Michigan, Berrien Springs, Michigan. It's home of Andrews University and is also home of Village Seventh Avenue Church, which is the church that David has the privilege of pastoring. Just to let you know a little, just to let you in on a little secret here, when we first started GYC in Pine Springs Ranch, David was one of the first people that we called. We said, David, we are going to start this new movement of young people. We need you to come speak to us. And in a very kind and tactful way, David said no. He was afraid of getting himself into something that was not going to really fly. By the grace of God, David has been blessed with great talents, but one of those great gifts that David has is a love for young people and for seeing those young people work for our church. Our statement says that we are an army of young people. Right now before us, we see a multitude of young people. This multitude of young people could easily become a mob of young people. The only thing that differentiates a mob from an army is the values that guide who we are. We do not want a mob. Mobs are destructive. We want an army, an organized army of young people that stand for something. So as we invite our speaker, David Chen, to speak to us this evening, I want you to ask yourself the question, are you contributing to GYC this evening, this weekend? Are you contributing as a member of a mob or as a member of an army? This type of question, the answer to this question, will help you decide whether or not you're going to be outside of those doors or inside of these doors when it comes time to listen to the message. The answer to that question will help you determine whether or not you will speak to the person next to you or whether you would pay attention. The answer to that question would help you determine how you behave yourself during the Sabbath hours that are now upon us. 
It will help you answer the question what you will be doing when the rest of this group of young people is out in the freezing cold weather knocking door to door. The answer to this question will help you determine who you will be, not just here this weekend, but what GYC will be in the future. Our speaker this evening, as I already said, is Pastor David Shin. But we hope that Pastor Shin would be used by the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to me individually. My prayer for us this evening, more so than for David Shin, is for each one of us. May the result of our meeting time with Christ today be an organization of an army of young people that are on a mission to proclaim the three angels' messages to the whole world before Jesus comes again. We are now going to be blessed with a special music, and after that, you're going to hear the voice of Pastor David Shin. But may you also hear the voice of the Spirit of God speaking to your heart.
Good evening. Happy Sabbath. So good to be with you tonight. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we begin our topic of discussion here tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you tonight for your Sabbath, for this symbol of creation and redemption, a symbol of what you want to do in each and every life present here tonight. And Lord, we've gathered here together as your people, and we ask that you would meet us, speak to our hearts and to our minds. We pray that every single individual in this room might be covered by your blood, based on the merits of Jesus Christ, not on anything that we have done or anything that we have accomplished, but on you, Lord. And we ask tonight that as we talk about a life of faith, even in the book of Revelation, you talked about a, a people that have the faith of Jesus. And we ask for that faith here tonight. That You've promised that every person has been given a measure of faith. And we ask that that faith would grow. And tonight, as we open your word, may your Holy Spirit lead us and guide us. Cut out the distractions. Help us to focus on you. And may Christ be uplifted and glorified. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. And for his sake, amen. Amen. Tonight I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. I hope you brought your Bibles here tonight. Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. I want to build a little bit of a background that we don't have time for, just in summary. In Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul has just established that the entire human race, whether Jew, Gentile, Greek, or Roman, is under this thing that we call condemnation. And it doesn't matter whatever ethnicity you may be, we are all lost. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he brings out this beautiful Protestant mantra of justification by faith. Amen. That the gospel is available to every single person. That the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you surrender yourself to him, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. And that is a beautiful message. And Paul in Romans chapter 7 is making a transition from justification to sanctification. From the objective gospel to the subjective gospel, from what God does for us to what God does in us. And in Romans chapter 7, we have almost an existential chapter, an experiential chapter, in which Paul is speaking in the first person sense. It's almost autobiographical when you read Romans chapter 7, and it seems almost as a tongue twister, if you read it, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version, Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. Let's start in verse 13, a little, get a little bit more of a context here. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might be exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. And listen to this. 
For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, what does the Bible say? That I do. If then I do not what I will to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. It seems like this is almost a bipolar disorder. Am I right? The thing that Paul hates, that he does. And the things that he wants to do, that he doesn't do. And I think that every single person in this room can relate with Paul on a certain existential level. Because we have things that we want to do. The things that we strive to do. The law. And there's another part in our nature that is pulling us the other way. You know, it's interesting, the kind of books that you find on Amazon.com. And I came across this book that is entitled, Stop Me Because I Can't Help Myself. And here's a quotation. I feel guilty about what I'm doing, but I can't stop. When I get these urges, nothing seems to relieve them except from gambling. Now you can fill in the blank, whatever tendency may be in your life. If I don't get to go to the casino when I have these urges, maybe my wife asks me to do something or a family emergency comes up, I feel incredibly anxious and I get very irritable the way I treat my wife and my family is sometimes horrible. I leave them alone for hours. I lie to them. I cancel family plans and it's all due to gambling. The amount of energy, time and money I spent gambling has me shaking my head in disgust. I look back and wonder how I could have ever lived this way. This disease controls you and not the other way around. I know that I'm ruining my career, but I just can't stop my behavior. How many of you in this room, now you don't have to raise your hand, have something in your life, a habit, a tendency, a besetting sin, whatever it may be, and you say to yourself, I'm never, ever going to do that again, ever. And then you go along for a little bit of time and you fall into it again and there is almost this struggle between what Paul calls our spiritual nature and our flesh, between our carnal nature and our spiritual nature. And there's a dichotomy here between the two. And tonight, I like to frame this question in this way as we go to Scripture. What do we do about feelings and emotions? And how do they relate to the Christian experience? You know, we live in the 21st century, and it's a fascinating thing because we are big on experience. You know, the epitome of authenticity to us as Generation X and Generation Y and Millennials is if I feel it, it must be an indication as to who I really am. It's the real me. So if I feel like going to church, I'm going to go to church. But until I get the feeling or emotion, I'm going to be true to myself. I'm not going to go to church until I have the feeling. And tonight, I'd like to pose this question this way. What is the relationship between feeling and faith? Is there any relationship in the Christian life and which is to take preeminence? And as Paul says in Romans chapter 7, right before making the transition from justification to sanctification, from what God does for us to what God does in us, he points out this real struggle between the flesh and the spirit. What is the relationship between faith and feeling for the Christian? 
We're going to be having a Bible study here tonight. Is that okay? And so we're going to be going and follow Paul's reasoning. We're going to go to Romans chapter 8, go to the Gospels in John chapter 5, and then end in Philippians chapter 4. And so after Romans chapter 7, he has just gone through this whole exposition as to this real struggle between his spiritual nature and his carnal nature. And let's go down to verse 24. Romans chapter 7, verse 24. O wretched man that I am. Can you imagine? Who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So with the mind I myself serve the law of sin, but with the flesh I the law of sin. Now I praise the Lord that he doesn't end there. Amen. He goes on in Romans chapter 8. And he says, there is now therefore... I heard this one preacher say, if you see the word therefore, ask what it's there for. It's a concluding statement. In other words, you have premise, 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 therefore. So this is the concluding statement of Romans chapter 7, describing this very real struggle between these two entities of the flesh and the spirit. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And notice the nuances of Paul's language in the next verse, or in the next part of this verse, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, I'd like to point out something very interesting here in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Notice that Paul does not say that once you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that the flesh ceases to exist. Am I right? He does not say that once you go down into the waters of baptism and say, I give myself unreservedly to the Lord Jesus Christ, that I no longer have to deal with my carnal nature. And this is a struggle for many Christians because they assume that the moment that they accept Jesus, that that is the end of their struggle. Now, I want to read to you some statements here tonight. Paul says that the flesh or the reality of the flesh does not disappear after conversion. He says, I die daily. Now, I'm not saying you'll be sinning till Jesus comes. Don't quote me. Pastor Shin did not say that. I'm saying that the reality of the flesh. Now, hear me out a little bit. Paul says, I die daily. He says to mortify the flesh. In Ministry of Healing, page 452 and 453, Ellen White says, the life of the Apostle Paul was a constant conflict with self. His will and his desires every day conflicted with the duty and the will of God. Colossians, or Christ's object lessons, I should say, 331. Likewise, for every converted, reborn, and justified Christian, the process of sanctification involves hard, stern battles with self. Now, I'd like to epitomize this in my own experience. I was in South Central LA doing evangelism, and I was a minority among minorities. We were there on Florence and Figueroa. Now, if you remember a number of years ago, they had the LA riots, and on Florence and Normandy, that one truck driver was pulled out of his car. Do you remember that? And they threw a brick at his head. We were just a few blocks away. It was called Prostitution Lane. And I grew up in the suburbs. I was with this six foot, I praise the Lord, six foot plus individual going through Watts and South Central doing Bible work. It was a tremendous, phenomenal experience. And with the Lord blessed tremendously that summer, we had about, I would say, 700 to 1,000 people attending our meetings. 
No handouts. Oh, we had handouts, but no mail-outs. It was all door-to-door work. We were given these streets-like grids, and we'd go door-to-door. And it was a phenomenal experience. I remember distinctly, I was in this 15-passenger van in Watts to pick up my contacts. And in the 70s, they had the Watts riots. And I stopped on this street corner, and these individuals, these young teenagers were calling out at me and calling me these names. I won't expound on them here tonight, but I'm Asian by descent, and you can fill out the rest of the equation. And as they were taunting me, they were calling me all these names using these derogatory terms. I was sitting in this van, and I had a flashback to elementary school. And some of the names that individuals would call me growing up as a young person in a minority school uh, right outside of D.C., and as these individuals are taunting me outside the van, I'm sitting there doing evangelism. I was converted. Believe you me. All right? I had given my heart to Jesus. I even had devotions that morning. And here I am doing evangelism, the epitome of the Lord's work, right there in Watts. And as these guys are greeting me with tirades, there was something happening within my being. It was like a volcano. And you know what I'm talking about? You ever have that happen before? A volcano of negative emotions just started crying out within my soul. Now, I want to ask you this question. Why is that there? If I'm converted, I've just accepted the Lord Jesus Christ... I'm here in the heart of L.A., altruistic as possible, doing soul winning, and I'm having this negative emotion cropping up within my heart. And I want to test to you, I sinned that day. <clears throat> I didn't choose to walk in the spirit. Now, you have the choice of whether you walk in the spirit or the flesh. And I rolled down my window, and with every gumption of intensity, I started just... Uh, yelling at them, oh, this is embarrassing, pastor, you know, ordained a gospel ministry. And I was like, you, over there. Now, I'm only, I'm very short. I'm five foot, <laughs> I'm five foot six with my shoes on. And, uh, but they couldn't tell in the, you know, in the vehicle. And so I started yelling at them. I said, you, come here. And then they were like, what are you going to do? And I said, man, what am I going to do? And I said, you come here. And then, uh, I, this is terrible. I said, I want to give you a flyer. Oh, what a terrible witness. And I had to confess to the Lord and say, please forgive me. But many people ask this question. What is the point of giving your life to Jesus if the reality of the flesh does not disappear? You ever have that question? What is the point of giving my will over to God and going through this thing that we call surrender if we still have to deal with our carnal nature? Well, this is the difference. Following the Wesleyan model of soteriology that was passed down through the ages, we're Wesleyan in many respects, this is what happens. When you give your will to Jesus Christ, before your will was in bondage to the flesh, you had no choice. What happens is that the Holy Spirit comes into your life and vivifies your will, places it into a prominent position so that you can now choose. Amen? 
to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. But the beauty of it is that God does not never defy your freedom of choice. He doesn't come down after conversion and say, you no longer have to deal with your sinful nature. I'm going to force you to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. It is a daily dying to self. And you have the power of choice because of your vivified will to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Amen. I want to read to you this statement from Steps to Christ. Page 47. Listen to this. Many are inquiring, how am I to surrender myself to God? You desire to give yourself to him, but you are weak in moral power, in slavery to doubt, and controlled by the habits of the sins of your life. Can you relate to this? Your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pledges weakens your confidence in your own sincerity and causes you to feel that God cannot accept you. But you need not despair. What you need to understand is the true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision or of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will, the power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot give yourself to God its affections, but you can choose to serve him. You can give him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Thus, your whole nature will be brought under the control of the spirit of Christ. Your affections will be centered upon him. Your thoughts will be in harmony with him. So this is the first step. You cannot conquer your sinful nature by catharsis. Amen? By suppression or repression. The only way that we can conquer this entity that we call the flesh is to say, Lord, I give you my will. Take my heart, for I can't give it. Do for me what I'm incapable of doing for myself. That's the most beautiful and the most powerful prayer that you can ever pray. Now, I want to testify about how this has become a reality in my life. This is a prayer that I constantly pray. And I'm going to make myself vulnerable here a bit tonight. Growing up, I, and I still am to this day, uh, a television addict. Now, you fill in the blank, whatever it may be in your life. My parents uh, had a difficult time raising me, and they knew that as soon as they placed me in front of the TV, my eyes were glued to that television. And so they prayed this prayer early on. They had bought this huge TV. I think it was like a 30-inch TV. And they said, we've invested a lot of money in this, and so we're too weak to get it rid of it on our own. So they said, Lord, please get rid of our television somehow. They came home one day, I think it was a Friday night, and uh, we had been burglarized. And <laughs> the only thing that they took was our television. <laughs> oh, I think they took my dad's razor too. And they said, praise the Lord. What an answer to prayer. <laughs> and I was upset at my parents. Let me tell you, I said, what kind of prayer is that? You know, and so growing through, I took the call to ministry and I knew that this was a weakness on my part and I decided that I would not have a television in my home. Amen. And it was late Saturday night and ministers go through this thing, I believe, like a weekly cycle. Sun Saturdays is the real high, but Sundays I 
almost feel depressed. You know, he kind of hit a low. And I was going through my weekend withdrawals or whatever, and I got on eBay. Avid eBay, by the way, I sold some things on there. And I was eBaying, and there was this television on there for 20 bucks. And I think it was $30 plus shipping and handling. And we get 3ABN local in Berrien Springs. So I thought to myself, that's what I'm going to watch. And I put it in there, shipping and handling. Came in the mail, all boxed up. I put it up. You know, I didn't even get cable. Put a couple rabbit ears up there. And in the beginning, this is how the devil gets you. In the beginning, it was innocuous. 3ABN, you know, it's wonderful, beautiful. And and then uh, I started watching other things. You know, news, Oprah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is terrible. And then it started getting, you know, it started declining very quickly down to a certain point. And I was watching things that I never imagined myself to watch. And it's a, it's a very large gray area that you start slipping down. And it's the direction that you can start heading. And before long, Believe it or not, I got to the point where when I would wake up, and I'm being honest to God here tonight, I would wake up and instead of reaching for my Bible, I'd reach for that remote and I would click that television on and I was hooked. And the Holy Spirit came to me and said, David, you need to get rid of that television today. And I fought the Lord for days. I said, Lord, I've invested a lot of money in this thing. $20 plus shipping and handling. I said, how in the world do you want me to get rid of this thing? I said, I can't do it. I said, I love television. I'm an addict. And now it's in my home. I can't do anything about it. It's just there. You want me to get rid of this? This is a very difficult thing for me to do. And I prayed this prayer in Steps to Christ. And I said, Lord, I can't help myself. This habit, this addiction is taking over my spiritual life. Help me. Help me take my will. And then I acted. I got up, boxed that television. I said, now what I'm going to do? I said, oh, maybe I can run off to the university. Can you imagine Pastor Shin out there at 6 a.m. throwing this box into the, into the dumpster outside the seminary? That's the one I was thinking of doing. I said, I can't do that. I, so I dropped it off at the community service center there, and I think some elderly woman is enjoying 3ABN to this day. <laughs> now, you fill in the blank for you. It may not be television. It may be pornography. It may be some other addiction. It may be a habit, a chain in your life that you simply cannot break. All the psychological methods in this world cannot give you the victory. Jesus Christ is the answer. And it begins with giving your will unreservedly to Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, take my will, take my heart, take my affections, because I cannot conquer this on my own. So Romans chapter 8, those that are not in condemnation are those who do not walk after the flesh, but according to the spirit. And I praise the Lord that God is able to give us victory. Amen over every tendency, over every hereditary trait of character, God's power is more than able to give you the victory. So step number one, give your will to Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we can conquer the flesh. Let's go to our second passage here tonight as we dwell upon the relationship between faith and feeling. John chapter 5, verse 
John chapter 5, Jesus is at the pool of Bethesda and an interesting miracle takes place here, moving along very quickly. And this was the feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in the Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For the angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, that when whoever stepped in after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease that he had. We're told in Desire of Ages that there was this pool in the center of Jerusalem called Bethesda. And there was this legend, this theory that had caught on that whoever rushed into the water as it shimmered, would be healed of whatever disease that he had. And Ellen White describes it as almost a anxious gazing on the water as the entire place was crowded with sick, lame, waiting that the moment that water would ripple, it was like a mad dash. And she says that the weaker would get trampled by the stronger and many would lose their lives on the brink of the water's edge. And Jesus walks into this arena of sick individuals. And in verse 5, it says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. He was the worst case scenario. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, praise the Lord, does the Lord know our condition? Amen. Does he know our state? And he says to him, Do you want to be made well? He asks him permission consent before healing him. And the man answered him and saying, Sir, I have no man to put me into the water when the water is stirred up. And while I'm coming, another steps down before him. And Jesus says these poignant words in verse 8. Look at this passage very carefully. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, we're a smart group of individuals here tonight. How many commands are in verse 8? Three, right? Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Now, notice what happens in the next verse, verse 9. And immediately, the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked, and the day was the Sabbath. Now, what of the commands of verse 8 are not present in verse 9? Rise. And rise is replaced with what action? He was made well. This is what I believe happened by the pool of Bethesda as the man was lying there with 38 years of infirmity. And, the, and Jesus walks up to him and says, Rise, take up your bed and walk. Noticing the nuances of these two positions or these two texts that are next to each other, what essentially happened was when the man heard the words, Rise, take up your bed and walk, he felt no emotion at all. All he heard was the command. And we're told in the Desire of Ages that he acted. By faith in the word. In other words, those neural pathways in his mind that had been dormant for years, when he heard, rise, take up your bed and walk, he tried to get up. He acted by faith. And it was in that moment of action, trying to act on the words of God by faith, that he was made well. I believe if that man lying by the pool of Bethesda had said, listen, I'm not even going to try to act, he would have died a paraplegic. And this is our second step when it comes to faith and feeling. Act before the emotion. You know, many of us here believe that our emotions are a symbol of who we really are. 
But there was this interesting study done by Malcolm Gladwell in his book called Blink. And they had these individuals come into a room that were experiencing extremes of negative emotion. You know, happy, sad, glad, you know, depressed. And they took their heart rate and so forth, things like that. And then right afterwards, they brought in a group of individuals that were experiencing no emotion at all or just flat, you know, just even keel. And they said, you're not happy right now, but what we want you to do is smile and act for 15 or so minutes like you're extremely happy. They had another group come in and say, you're not depressed, but we want you to act depressed. Then another group come in and say, we, you're not angry, but we want you to stomp around the room like you're angry. Can you imagine? And, what, and they took their test right afterwards. And what they found is simply fascinating. The individuals that acted like they were angry, acted like they were depressed, or acted sad, happy, glad, whatever it may be, were experiencing the same physiological responses as those that actually had the emotion. In other words, their actions determined their feelings. And he makes an interesting point. Many of us believe that our actions and our emotions, our feelings are dominant over our actions. But he says that they're equal partners. They actually play on one another. Our feelings play on our actions and our actions play on our feelings. And this is a simple principle all the way through scripture that before you feel any emotion, act by faith. And many times the emotions will follow your actions. I don't know how many of you have ever heard the story of Cora Temboom in the book, The Hiding Place. And she points out this very interesting comment regarding right after the war had taken place, she was there, just had gotten out of Ravensbrock, lost her entire family there. And she's going through, I think it was Western Europe, telling about the gospel and how people had impacted her life. And she makes this interesting comment as to an SS, former SS soldier that had walked up to her and she recognized him immediately. And she says that it was as if a torrent of negative emotions were crying within her soul. She did not want to shake the hand of this former SS guard. And of course, he did not recognize her, but she recognized him. And she says that it was just almost surreal slow motion. What was she going to do? Because she was feeling every negative emotion that you could ever think about. And she says, by faith, not by feeling, she reached out her hand to clasp the hand of this former SS guard and her feelings followed her action. She felt love for this individual after she had acted. I want to read to you some statements very quickly. Talk and act as though your faith is invincible. The Lord is rich in resources. He owns the world. Look heavenward in faith. Look to him who has light, power, and efficiency. The words are more than an indication of character. They have power to react upon the character. Men are influenced by their own words. Often under a momentary impulse prompted by Satan, they give utterance to jealousy and evil surmising, expressing that which they do not really believe, but the expression reacts on the thoughts. This is a mind, character, and personality, page 75. They are deceived by their own words and come to believe that which was true as by Satan's instigation. 
So here is a simple principle in my character and personality that when you speak, that when you act in a negative way, it actually influences the way that you feel and think. What is the relationship between faith and feeling? We're told that they are as far as the east is from the west. Now I'd like to invite you to turn with me very quickly to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Number one, we should give our wills to Jesus Christ. Amen. Number two, we should act by faith regardless of our emotion. And in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, we're told... Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Sorry. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, my brother, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, the last and final step in dealing with our sinful and carnal nature is to think about heavenly things. They influence the way we think, the way we feel, and influence our actions as well. Now, what is the application to GYC? Why is faith so important? Why is it important that we have an unshakable, immovable faith? This is what I believe. I believe that faith and mission are irrevocably linked. Simply put, that in proportion to our mission, our faith must be great. The greater our mission, the greater our faith. And we have a great mission, amen? It's to take this gospel of the kingdom to the world in this generation. And that is an overpowering mission that we have. And in proportion to our mission, we must have a faith that is unshakable and immovable. And tonight, I'd like to read to you a life and story of David Livingston as narrated and paraphrased by Rabbi Zacharias that I believe exemplifies a life of unshakable faith in overwhelming odds, and he was faithful and true to his mission regardless. David Livingston was born in Blantyre, Scotland in 1813. He was born into a home where his father used to put him on his knees and read to him stories of great missionary exploits, particularly that of Carl Gutzlav, the Dutch missionary, who doubled up as a medical missionary too. Young David used to look into his father's eyes and say, You know, Daddy, one day I want to be a man like that. I want to be a missionary. I want to be a doctor. I want to serve God. David Livingston got on his knees one day and said this prayer, Lord, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden on me. Only sustain me. Sever any ties that tie me to your heart but the ties that bind me to your heart and to your service. And through it all, the words came to him. He said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He packed his belongings, went off to Africa. And when he took one glimpse of Africa from the distance, he penned in his journal these words, The haunting specter of the smoke of a thousand villages in the morning sun has burned within my heart. The haunting specter 
of the smoke of a thousand villages and the sun has burned within my heart. He married a woman of the famous Moffat family. Mary was her name. Her father was a great missionary and together they went to Africa. But David Livingston's life was that of an explorer and he would move from place to place and his only goal was Jesus in the hearts and lives of men and women, thousands of them. Finally, his wife and young family couldn't keep up with him anymore. Some of them were dying from sickness and disease and so he said to his wife, Mary, why don't you go home and I will see you shortly and spend some time with you. It's too dangerous to go, for us to go on. So he sent his dear wife Mary back home And letters would take months to exchange, but some of the fondest letters of love and romance were sent between David and Mary. And you know when he saw her the next time? Not five weeks, not five months, but five years later. I'm not condemning the man or condoning what he did, I'm just telling you what happened. Five years later, when he set his eyes upon his wife, she could not recognize him. Because at one stage in his jungle travels going to preach, He had walked into the branch of a tree that had completely blinded him in one eye and marred the other. His face had been burned under the African sun to a crisp of leather, and his skin, which had not been pigmented for it, had been roasted to the point that his body could not take it any longer. His face marred and scarred, his eye blinded. At one time, he had been attacked by a lion that had torn one of his shoulders apart. He had miraculously escaped. Now she saw her husband hobbling in with a marred face and disfigured countenance. Hours before he had arrived there, buried his father. David wept because he longed to tell his dad firsthand of the stories his father had only told him thirdhand. Biographical sketches will tell us when David Livingston walked into any university in the British Isles, students and faculty would stand in standing ovation because they knew they were standing in the presence of a giant of a man. Finally, he went back to his wife one day and said, Mary, the haunting specter of the smoke of a thousand villages in the morning sun is still burning within my heart. We need to go back. She decided that he should go. She had to be with the children. She said, when they're all old enough, I will join you again, David. And he set off on his lonely journey to preach to the African people who were so much within his heart. Finally, after a long time, Mary joined him. And the day she set foot on African soil, she contracted a disease they had so dreaded she would contract. The very day she set foot on Africa, she got that disease. And a few days later, later he was burying her. Lowered into the soil of the African earth there, an eyewitness says David Livingston knelt beside the grave, weeping his heart out. And they overheard him praying, my Jesus, my King, my life, my all. I again consecrate my life to thee. I shall place no value on anything I possess or anything I may do except in relation to thy kingdom and to thy service. And through it all, the words of God came to my heart. He said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He picked up his belongings, walked back to his hometown village of Ujiji. When he arrived and went to his little home there, he found that someone had played a cruel joke on him and stolen his medication he had so desperately needed because his body was racked with pain constant agony he walked in constant pain and they said in one of the few points in his life he prayed for himself he got on his knees and said god you'd promised you'd always be with me i need that medication if i'm to continue preaching the gospel and as he prayed he heard steps and as the story goes he saw a feet pair of feet planted in front of him and his countenance lifted for the first time in a long while he was looking into the face of a white man who didn't live in africa 
He said, who are you, sir? And the man replied, David Livingston, I presume. Those famous words. He said, yes, sir. Mr. Livingston, I'm a press reporter. I've been consigned to do a story on your life. I want you to know two things about me. Number one, I'm the biggest swaggering atheist on the face of the earth. Please don't try to convert me. And number two, someone has sent some medication for you. David said, give me some medication, please. So Mr. Henry M. Stanley started to travel with David Livingston. Four months later, the biggest swaggering atheist on the face of the earth knelt on African soil and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. One of the best biographies you'll ever read is David Livingston, two volumes, Livingston of Africa by Henry M. Stanley. Stanley said, the power of that Christ life was awesome, and I had to buckle in. I could not hold out any longer. Finally, his body began to shrivel with high temperatures and pain. They used to carry him around from village to village on stretcher. One day, preaching from a stretcher, literally trembling, he finally looked at two of his national brothers and said, please take me back home. I'm very, very ill. I'm very tired. I need some sleep. They brought him back to his home and were about to spill him over onto his bed. And he said, no, please help me on my knees. Livingston buckled down on his knees by the side of his bed, clasped his hands and started to pray. His prayers were so profound, his sanctuary so unique that his African brothers felt it was blasphemy to stay in his single union, communion with God and they stepped out of his little room. Then someone came running and said, I need to see Mr. Livingston for a moment. They said, shh, quiet, please. He's praying. Five minutes went by. They looked in. He was still on his knees. Several minutes went by. They looked in. He was still on his knees. After a protracted period of time went by, they looked in. He was still on his knees. One of the men felt he was too tired to continue to pray. He needed to get some sleep. He walked over to him and shook him by the shoulders and inquired, Wana, Wana, Livingston fell over. He was dead. He had died exactly the way he had lived, in the presence of his Lord. He didn't run from that voice. He didn't wave a lamp that had no light in it. He didn't sell his soul for some earthly pleasure. But the haunting specter of the smoke of a thousand villages in the morning sun had burned within his heart so that he could say, My Jesus, my life, my all, I again consecrate myself to thee the faith of david livingston regardless of any sacrifice any privation any difficulty or even any emotion kept him faithful to his mission and to his purpose and tonight if you want to say lord give me the faith of david livingston the faith of jesus amen and say regardless of any Emotion, regardless of any experience I may have, keep me faithful to you. I want to invite you to stand with me for our prayer of dedication as we close here tonight. Father in heaven, we've talked tonight about faith. How the, how the relationship between faith and feeling is as far as the east is from the west. How it's a faith that is based on the word of God, regardless of any emotion or negative things that we may feel. And we pray that you'd keep us faithful to you. Lord, you've given us the mission of taking the gospel of the kingdom to the world in this generation.
And Lord, it's going to take a faith that is unwavering, a faith that is unshakable, a faith that regardless of circumstances, regardless of even our own experience, that must be faithful to the word of God. And I'm just wondering here tonight, if you want to say, Lord Jesus, I want to pray the prayer of David Livingston. Lord, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden on me. Only sustain me. Sever any tie, but the tie that binds me to your heart and to your service. And say, Lord, give me that faith to go that if you do indeed call, wherever it may be, in my local home or overseas or abroad or to my family, to my friends, to the university campus on which I'm based, I want you to just raise your hand in commitment to Jesus Christ tonight and say, Lord, I want that faith here tonight to say, Lord, keep me faithful and true to the calling that you have invested here tonight. Lord, you see these hands. We believe that GYC is a fulfillment of prophecy. We believe that before the end of time, there will be an example, a revival, a primitive godliness that has not been seen since apostolic times. And we pray for that here tonight. We pray for revival. We pray for an experience with Jesus like never before. And I just pray that you would seal these hands with your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would give us the faith of Jesus. And we ask that when you come, that you will find faith on the earth. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Keep us in your care at this Sabbath hours. For we ask in his name and for his sake. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.